Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite Lorecast on the Citadel. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast lore behind the Mass Effect games. Welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast. Today's episode, we are diving into Tally's backstory before the events of Mass Effect 1. I'm super excited to get into this. I'm Tom, one of your hosts. I've got Sam here, the other host. Sam, how's it going, man? I'm doing well. Uh, this is a day that a lot of people have been bugging us about for quite some time now. Uh, they've been saying, you know, when are you going to talk about Tally? When are you going to talk about Tally? Besides Tally, the only other person I've heard more is Garrus. So we're finally here. We're finally going to be talking about one of the fandom's favorites. And yeah, so today we're diving into Talizora Naraya. Naraya. And I'm using her birth name mm. on purpose. Not the one she takes after her pilgrimage, because that is what we are zeroing in on today. Tally before the games. Right. So she's she's an OG character. We meet her all the way back in Mass Effect 1. She carries through the rest of the series. But, uh, I mean, I should know better by now. We went through the whole Miranda thing. What else is there to know before the games? Contrary to Miranda, uh, Tally is very young in Mass Effect 1. So, hence why she'd be going on her pilgrimage uh, to start with. So, there's not a long, drawn-out backstory for Tally like there is with Miranda. So, it's a little bit different. But let's start with her name. Koreans have four-part names, and I mentioned Talizora Naraya. So Koreans' four parts are their given name, so like your first name, their clan name, separated by an apostrophe, Nar or Vas, and then the name of their ship. Nar is given for the ship they were born on, in Tally's case, the Raya. Uh, so this means her first name and last name, as we think of it in Western terms, would be just Talizora. Zora being the name of her clan. So Shepard calling her Tally appears super informal during the games, but I don't think it's that unusual given our own social customs. Uh, given Corian's social customs, it might be a little bit more remarkable. Yeah. Uh, but that does bring us to her pilgrimage, which is the earliest appearance of her in the lore that I've found. So it's all the way back in a Homeworlds comic, Mass Effect Homeworlds. Yeah, we're going back to the and comics. We got comic pictures and stuff ready for everybody. We got comics. Yeah. We have comics, and the artwork is I. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Oh, it's no. Not, it's not consistent. It's more about the story. So just if you're watching the live stream, keep that in mind. Uh, the, this comic specifically is told through flashbacks, and I will be jumping around a little bit. But it starts with Tally seeking medical help on the Citadel, which, if you remember, she runs into Dr. Michelle at uh, the very beginning of Mass Effect 1 before we meet her. Right. So and I've got a so, pickup on screen right now of this uh, of this meeting. Yes, exactly. So she's clearly injured and she's bleeding her purple Corian blood. And uh, she says, please, or else my weakness could doom the entire Corian race. 
uh, and the or else my weakness is that that much is internal dialogue. Uh, but she, so she's recalling her father's message to her at this point while she's bleeding out and trying to find medical help. And the message says, Talizora Naraya, my daughter, by the time this reaches you, your pilgrimage will be underway and you'll be far from the Corian flotilla. And it cuts off because she never got to hear the rest of it. And she just assumes that he was going to like lay into her with this really negative lecture saying, don't be lazy, guard yourself again against the galaxy's harshness and cruelty. Right. So this so, is like a, she's got this impression of him being a certain way. And so the expectation follows from that is just jumping to the conclusion. Yeah. 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 Um, so she's she's she I guess we can extrapolate from this that Tally's dad is a little bit bitter, a little bit jaded. Mm -hmm. I mean, he must be if she just assumes that this is the direction that he's going to take. Or it's just uh, been kind of a hard ass to her. I mean, it's not like we haven't seen that with other characters, just kind of being hard on other people. Yes. But I weigh that against how much of the fact do you think it is Tally is just a teenager at this point. She's mm -hmm. rebellious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this might just so, be she's been pushing the boundaries. And so, of course, he's pushing back. Maybe. Exactly. No, no, I think that's it. And I think her, her father is also an admiral. So he has this very executive mindset anyway. Uh, and if you have a teenager, I can only imagine how that butts up against uh, the heads with a rebellious teenager. So then a flashback happens. And we go to the very beginning of how her pilgrimage starts. She's on a ship with another Corian, whose name we only know by Kina Braids. Brage. I don't know how you would pronounce that. Braids? Uh, it's B <laughs> B R E I Z H. Brage. Maybe. Sure. Yes, we'll go with that Ke one. Kina Brage. <laughs> uh, and they are. So we don't know Kina Brage's uh, birth ship because she only snaps at him and says that name one time, which might be an indication that you really should use the full name with someone you don't know that well. Uh, but they're on the ship together and they're in the Crescent Nebula. Uh, if you remember that name, it's because it's also home to Ilium, the Asari trading world and the Terminus systems. We were there a bunch in Mass Effect 2. It's also where Tally is supposed to be heading, which if you're on a pilgrimage, that kind of makes sense because it's a trading world, you know, your pilgrimage, you're supposed to be looking for something of value to bring back to the fleet. If you're looking to barter and trade with things that might not be typically available to you on the Citadel, or if you're not welcome on the Citadel, it makes sense to go to, to Ilium. It's like a secondary but, location to go aside from the Citadel in order to find things that you may not have on one of these ships. It totally makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. But along the way, she is listening to a message from her dad. I, and her dad says, I needn't impress upon you the importance of the task that lies ahead of you. It's a heavy burden, the expectations you carry with you. But as my daughter, and again, it's cut short. Uh, it's kind of a, th a theme going. This is, on, no, this is an ongoing theme here, huh? Exactly. So it's told fragmented. The story is very fragmented, uh, but I just wanted to zero in on something that that her dad says right there. He says it's a heavy burden, the expectations you carry with you. And expectations like her father is an admiral, so perhaps she's being drilled harder than she should be like any normal Corian would be on her pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. And I think she's feeling the weight of that. And her father recognizes that. Um, but this next, this next line is so critical and it gets cut off. It's, but as my daughter, and then it's cut off. Right. right? And that could be anything as my daughter. I expect even more from you from, than anybody else. Or, but as my daughter, I will always care for you no matter how successful you are on the, you know, like it could have been right. anything. Yeah. But as my daughter, you better not fail me. Like, who knows what that says, right? <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, but they find, it's cut off because they find a Geth, they find the Geth, not a Geth. They find Geth on an unnamed planet below them. So Tally and Kina decide to investigate. And ultimately, they, they disable one, and then they try to steal its memory core. I'm guessing this is Tally's idea of bringing something back valuable for the, uh, for the, the fleet. Yeah, that makes sense. And so I've got another and, another picture on the screen of of this uh, part of the comic. 
Yeah, so this this is the exact moment that Tally is referencing in Mass Effect 1 in the beginning when she says that I disabled the Geth, I took its memory core, and then I got this interesting uh, recording. So... In the, in the comic, it says they drove us from Rannoch, our homeworld, and sent uh, our migrant fleet forever wandering. And it's just kind of briefly going over a synopsis of the Geth-Korian conflict and, and why the Korians are at war with the Geth uh, and were at war with the Geth and why they hate them, basically. Uh, and she zaps this, this Geth. Uh, it's disabled. And then she takes out the memory core and she's talking about if the Geth are moving beyond the Perseus Veil, which I find particularly interesting, because if the Geth are beyond the Perseus Veil, which is the cluster where they were, then that means they are spreading, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so this lends credence to the fact that Tally really thought this would be her ticket out of the pilgrimage. Like, she has a Geth memory core from a Geth that's outside the Perseus Veil. And if we remember, in Mass Effect 2, her father is particularly interested in the Geth. Right. And she's been sending parts of Geth back to him. Right. So So this this might be the valuable thing that she needs. Absolutely. Exactly. All the pieces connect on this. But wait, so why, why why are the Geth all the way on a planet near Ilium? And this is before Mass Effect 1? It's a great question. Uh, it turns out that the Geth are working with a Turian whose name is Commander Jacobus. Uh, I love these Romanized yeah. names like yeah. Jacobus. Jacobus. In fact, that could even be like a Y. Oh, would it be, could be Jacobus? Or, or, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, or it could be a Y pronunciation for a J. So, so yeah. it could be Jacobus. 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 Commander Jacobus. Commander Yakko, Wacko and Dot. Uh, <laughs> pulty, 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 pulty. <laughs> um, Commander, oh, I, I'm just going to go with Jacobus because I feel like that sounds better than Jacobus. Sure. Uh, but yeah. may, whatever. Commander Jacobus has a crew drilling for Prothean technology on this uncharted planet. So a Turian has a Geth crew drilling for Prothean tech. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so, and this is before Mass Effect 1. Like, we're getting close to, like, Saren territory here, right? Like, this is... Yeah, that's exactly what Saren was doing on Eden Prime. Yeah. And at this mm-hmm. point, Tally doesn't know about Saren, though. And she, so she's got no idea why Geth are here on this icy planet. And she's able to extract this Geth's memory core that has a recording on it. And so we have another uh, screenshot from the comic up here that she's listening to this Geth memory core and it says, Eden Prime was a major victory. The beacon has brought us one step closer to finding the conduit. And then another voice. Uh, And one step closer to the return of the Reapers. And that is the same exact soundbite just transcribed uh, that we hear in Mass Effect 1 when she plays it for us in front of uh, Anderson and Udina and the council. So she's confused because, and Kina's confused too, uh, because they want to get the hell out of here and they're planning to they're planning to get out, but they don't know who that is, you know, in the recording. And then a sniper opens fire and, uh, you know, cue the it's not the Geth soundbite from Joker because it's not the Geth who are firing at them. It's Turian commander and his lackeys. Uh, they realize Tally got them Geth memory core, and Jacobus says, "If we're if what we're doing here gets out, Saren will kill us all." So this okay. So I mean, that's that's the connection right there. <laughs> like Saren will kill us all. This is all right. absolutely connected to what Saren was doing. Clearly a Saren uh, henchman here, Commander Jacobus is. Uh, and for anyone who's read the Mass Effect Evolution comic and then Mass Effect Revelation, the novel, this is basically the next chapter of Saren's obsession with controlling indoctrinated forces. All that bridges that gap, like all of that, the Evolution comic, then Revelation, then this comic, it all bridges the gap between the origin of Saren's indoctrination and the beginning of Mass Effect 1. So Tally takes off on the shuttle and discovers more information from the Geth Corps. And this time, though, it's about Eden Prime. And so we have another uh, pick here from the comic uh, where she's 
talking about Eden Prime, and she's like, well, that was mentioned, you know, in the in the bite, and it looks like it's a human colony. Someone ordered the Geth to attack it, and it's a Spectre. Oh, my God, now the Spectres are involved? Keena's, like, freaking out. No, the Spectre's involved, and now a human colony and Geth. Like, what the hell is going on? Like, let's just go please let's go home <laughs> i don't want to put i don't want to put my my three fingers into this uh <laughs> it's it's too dangerous you know right um but tally uh presses onward and tells him that it's too dangerous to actually go home because then you'd be leading the geth back there so tally bless her heart uh says we need to go to the galactic authority Okay. It's objectively the right move. Right. Morally and in terms of, you know, self-protection. Sure. Uh, but she doesn't realize that they're not really on her side and they're not on Saren's They're not on Corian's side. Uh, and they're more likely to side with their specter agent, Saren. Right. Because at this point, uh, Saren's totally up and up. Everybody's like, oh, he's a specter. He's doing what he's supposed to do. We're going to side with him. Right. Like... Uh, you know, have you ever heard the phrase, it's not what you say, it's how you say it? Well, the older I get, the more I realize that there's kind of an addendum to that phrase, which is that it's not necessarily, it's like sometimes it's not what you say or how you say it, it's who you are when you say it. Right. Or who you say it to. Sometimes that even matters. Right. You know, like like a little yeah, kid who's so. like, well, mom told me no, so now I'm going to ask dad and not tell dad that mom already told me no. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but in this case, I believe for Tally and this expose, this whistleblower report that she needs to make, it matters who's making the report. That's why later in Mass Effect 1, I think Tally needs Shepard. Tally needs Shepard to make that report because now he's a Spectre and he's not a Corian. Mm hmm. And we'll get into a little bit about why that political power is the way that it is, uh, because it's specifically mentioned in this comic. Uh, but basically, they the, Tally and Kina end up landing on Ilium because that's where they were headed. And I guess they anticipate being able to blend into the crowd and lose their tail maybe before heading to the Citadel. But as soon as they land uh, or try to land rather on Ilium, they run into discrimination from Ilium's port security, who I kid you not, says, we, uh, our docks are backed up. Uh, you got to hold on and we'll let you know when it's clear to land. Could be a while though. Might want to head somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, that sounds totally legit. Uh, you are having a little problem here. Uh, uh, yeah. It sounds like people giving me the, the runaround at work. Right. It also it also sounds like the kinds of things that people would say when they were extremely racist and they didn't want you in their restaurant or whatever. Like, oh, yeah, we've already uh, we're, we're totally booked. There's no extra seats. I'm sorry. You're going to have to go somewhere else. Yeah. 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 There's uh, they don't want to say the quiet part out loud, which, you know, of course, this is going to be never that their port is going to open up for them. But it's funny that the alien security goes about it so indirectly. You know, they don't want a nomadic Korean ship landing on the fancy pants, high income Asari world. Right. And yet they don't feel bold enough to just say it. Right. Uh, right. I don't know. It, so this is we, we see in this comic a lot of different instances of discrimination against Koreans by way of tally so basically it's 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 people in authority positions who are constantly um profiling Koreans and they're profiling tally and she has really important things to tell them but they're so caught up in their own prejudice against Koreans that they don't even listen they don't care they don't help her mm -hmm. we see firsthand because of the you know omnipotent or omniscient viewpoint uh of this comic we see just how bad the discrimination against koreans is and it's not like you know this is a unreliable narrator or this is debatable because so and so told me this not really in this comic like this yeah. is just like we're observing everything that happened yeah first-hand account it also plays in a little bit into her psyche maybe and why she is expecting the worst all the time is because she and her people just keep getting treated like that and I think it's pretty tough. I think it's pretty tough for a Corian who is a teenager going on her pilgrimage 
and it's their first time seeing the galaxy and there's all this discrimination but we can talk a little bit more about that after the mid-break all right let's go thank our patrons we'll be right back you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours excursions and more in one place there are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone and viator offers free cancellation and 24 7 customer support for worry-free travel download the viator app now and use code viator 10 for 10 percent off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator sick of being upsold at gyms my guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this lorecast is mine. I like the sound of that. All right, here we are in the middle of the show. This is where we get to thank our patrons and big shout outs to everybody, including our shepherd tier patrons who get shout outs every week. Kolkashins, Edboy, Kiracy, Lieutenant Tosino, that's Spectre J and William. Thank you for your support. And to all 61 of our current patrons, thank you for being here. I hope you are enjoying the ad free episodes and stickers and T-shirts and other things that you're getting. Uh, also, if you would like to leave a um, review for us a five-star review on apple Podcasts. we'll read that out in the future as well we don't have any new ones today we don't have any new patrons to to mention but if you are interested head over to patreon.com slash mass effect lorecast go check everything out and see if it's something you want to support we would really appreciate it so that's it the mid-break on this episode is super quick and we've got more detail to get back into with tally so here we go spit it out or are you trying to build suspense you're so dense sir Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. Okay, so Tally and Kina land on Ilium eventually, right? Yes, but not before Commander Yakko, Wacko, and Dot do. Uh, <laughs> his, and his Saren henchmen do and land along with him. So they find Tally and Kina. And they're chasing them down the streets, uh, through the streets of Ilium, and they're firing at them. And while that's happening, Tally has this tragic reflection. Uh, and it is it is very sad to watch this. Uh, so we have a screen grab of this part in the comic up. Uh, because I, I really like the way that they've done this. They have this internal dialogue in these uh, square dialogue boxes. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's painted over this montage of Tally and Kina, and I'm not sure who this third Quarian is, uh, but Quarian on their crew, all running from Saren's henchmen through the streets of Ilium where no one really cares. No one's coming to their rescue at all. Uh, but the internal dialogue says like, I fantasized about visiting beautiful cities. You know, uh, new encountering new races, exchanging ideas and sharing cultures. As a child, I dreamed of this, of seeing the galaxy on my pilgrimage. And so there's this sense of escapism that I mentioned back when we discussed the Koreans, like not even kidding, a hundred episodes ago. Holy moly. That's yeah. Yep. (laughs) And 
Uh, and it makes sense because imagine the wanderlust that you would have being raised aboard a ship that's extremely crowded and it's made completely of secondhand or salvaged materials. No one has personal belongings. Every time you try and stop in a civilized area, the people that are there, unless they're already Koreans, which they aren't, are kicking you along like you are nomadic trash. Um, everything is scarce. There's not an abundance really of anything. Everyone has just exactly what they need, maybe a little bit less. And you're not allowed to leave. Yeah. But you're knowing that there was this whole galaxy out there. And then on top of that, you add that you're a teenager. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like this is a perfect storm uh, for for a teenager to feel like, oh, God, I just want to get out there and see see the universe. Yeah. Perfect storm for a teenager to be rebellious too. <laughs> like, no, yeah. you don't know what you're talking about. The world isn't that bad. You're just jaded and bitter. And then they leave and they're like, oh my God, it's bad. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, everybody else is right. Oh, I shouldn't have. Oh God, now what am I going to do? And yeah. it's sad because this is, the, this is what we see Tally coming to this conclusion of. You know, she's coming to the, con- the harsh con- conclusion and she, you know, verbalizes this she says the galaxy doesn't care about us just like all the other older koreans warned you about the death of innocence is just really tough to watch here and the cor- the corruption of of dis- like the fact that those guards at ilium's port security were discriminating mm-hmm. and they're corrupt and mm-hmm. the corruption of that discrimination is what's killing her innocence and it's killing her wonder of exploring. And then ironically, it's it itself is sowing the seeds of bitterness within Tally. Yeah. Yeah, I could totally see that. Like this is some of these early stories do this kind of like, I don't know, they feel like a second writer somewhere just kind of knew a little bit about things and they just kind of pieced up some stuff together. But this one feels very accurate to me. It doesn't feel as... I don't know, shoot in. I don't know the right phrase is for that. No, no, I I agree. This one feels very seamless. Like, yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. of course this would happen. And and, uh, of course, this is why she is the way that she is when we meet her later in Mass Effect 1 and and then in Mass Effect 2, why she takes the stance that she does during her loyalty mission. Yeah, it it all starts to make a lot more sense. Um, And when we consider this, it, it also starts to make sense why Corian's most Koreans do come back from their pilgrimage and then they never leave again unless they're on orders because it's a dangerous place and nobody wants them around. So why not just go back to your people? Yeah, absolutely. And they realize that if someone else's threat, if someone else, even if someone else is not directly threatening me, no one's going to help shoehorned. That was the phrase. It's not shooed shoehorned. Like the little tool used for like old people to put their feet in their shoes. Demusica says, which is exactly why they send them all out on the pilgrimage. Well, I think it's twofold. I think they send them out on the pilgrimage because they really do need intel and information and goods and and different maybe trade secrets that they can bring back. They really do need everything they can get. Uh, But they also want them to see what the world is like, too. Yeah. 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 Because if they if they told people they couldn't, inevitably people would go and then they would be in a much more dangerous, less supported kind of way. Yeah, it'd be like one of those vaults and Fallout. <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't leave the vault. Don't leave the vault. Screw you guys. I'm leaving the vault. Oh, my God. It's terrible out here. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's awful. <laughs> what is that gigantic <laughs> monster with the big claws? And who are these big green yeah. guys? Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll go back in the vault. I think, yeah. Um, <laughs> so Tally's ship is blocked off. Uh, she's, she, you know, she's running. Her and Keen are running from from Commander Yakko. And <laughs> I'm just going to keep calling them that. And um, they're running from them. And then they realize that their ship that they arrived on is blocked off. They can't get there. So they're forced to sneak on to another different Turian ship. And they become stowaways. And there's this really tragic scene of Kina holding Tally in the cargo bay and they're cold and they're like cast aside and they don't know where they're going. They're just trying to leave. And it turns out that that ship is bound for the Citadel. But ultimately, they're found by the crew. And one of the crew members even says, can we kill them? It's a Krogan, sure, who says that. <laughs> it's, of course, but, the Krogan. Can we kill them? 
No. But like, no, no, like, gosh. Come on, man. Stop it, gosh. Come on, man. Come on, gosh. That's the new Krogan's name. It's Gosh. Gosh. Mm-hmm. Oshkosh, Bagosh. Mm-hmm. The Krogan. Yeah. Uh, and they're turned over to CSEC. Ultimately, they're not killed by the crew, but they're turned over to CSEC. Uh, so. CSEC is still highly discriminatory, even though they're not the port security in the Terminus systems. Uh, and lo and behold, it is Detective Chellick, who we also meet in Mass Effect 1, and who I didn't get the sense when we met him in Mass Effect 1 that he was so racist. Huh. But it turns out that he is. <laughs> okay. And Chellick, Chellick says to her, while they're in, sh- while they're, they are, they are, uh, in handcuffs, Kina and Tally. And Chalik says, I convinced the freighter captain not to press charges, but don't expect any more from me. And he ultimately lets them go, but he tells them that they have to be off the Citadel by tomorrow. And I don't care where you go, just leave. Right, so kind of racist, but not, well, okay. I. Again, I haven't seen, maybe not again. You're the one who did the research. You're the one who's read all these comics. I haven't read this comic. In, is there more dialogue that lets us know very specifically that he is racist or is like, is this it? And maybe he just has to play along with everybody else. And because it seems like he's doing something nice, at least by letting them going, not pressing charges. Kinda, I don't know. Maybe it's better to call him um, uh, like a racist apologist. Right. Like, you know? well, imagine a situation where everybody you work with is a certain way. And so you just kind of got to go along with it because you don't want to, you know, so you're going to do as much as you can, but that's all you really can do. The way, some of the language that he uses in the comic is very reminiscent of like he himself feels this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And I'll, you know what? I'll just look it up. I have it here in front of me, the comic. Um, and I can go to the, the exact page where Chellick is, uh, and I can tell you exactly what he says that I thought was pretty racist. Uh, here he is. So Chellick says to them, uh, what did you think was going to happen? I convinced the freighter captain not to press charges, but don't expect any more from me. Do you understand? And then Tally says, but Detective Chellick, we have something valuable, important to, and he says, Corians always trying to barter, always causing trouble. Yeah, so that's that's a line that feels more like stereotype confirmed. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. And he says, he unlocks their handcuffs and he says, go on, get out of here. There are cargo freighters that need honest workers. Try your luck with them. Right, right. So, I mean, it sounds like things could have been worse so they're lucky they got off so at least he was willing to do that but he's still you know <laughs> a little kind bit of racist. dick kind yeah. of a dick yeah um he ultimately lets them go like i said but as they're leaving they try to ask avena that virtual intelligence on the citadel for help <laughs> and we have a, a screenshot of that because avena's never any help um but <laughs> right, right. she she's of little help and my thought is when i was reading this and i i can't believe it just finally occurred to me i think avena is bioware's attempt at recreating automated customer service lines oh yeah it's basically the same kind of thing just extrapolated into the into the future with like a body and a personality that talks to you but it's like clearly automated and if you you have a query that doesn't fall neatly in the pre or pre-aligned categories that it can respond mm-hmm. to it doesn't know what to do and right. that's why we see on mass effect one there's a there's a krogan like thug who's like stupid machine right 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 <laughs> which it's is also, all of us yeah I, also when some, we're on the phone some, some people have responded to last week's episode where i was trying to explain the distinction between AI and VI and it's one of the reasons why VI isn't always AI right like it may just be a representation of a thing that has like canned responses but it isn't really thinking it isn't really doing what a person would do in that situation yeah Vina is definitely not smart um and <laughs> I don't think like unless certain responses were programmed she doesn't know what to do um but they ask to speak to the council and avina's like sure thing the wait time is seven months (laughs) that's that's where you can get in why don't you go there um and so what's really interesting and just adds to the to the world building and the perception that 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 so many people in the council races are racist against the Koreans is in the background 
there's a there's an Asari who says, "Oh, disgusting." Oh. And uh, yeah, you can bring up that pick again. I, I I forget exactly what she says, but she looks at Tally and she goes, "Oh, disgusting." And then uh, what what yeah. is the rest? Oh, of disgusting! It? Don't make eye contact, or they'll ask you for money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So some yeah. This, I mean, this a classism. Whew, this I mean this. Yes, people are sometimes people are like, "Hey, why do you bring in real world connections?" If you you can't read this stuff or play the game and listen to and see this, this stuff without some of the stuff making you go, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. We've been the other there. thing is like, you know, the people who wrote this exist in our real world. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. they definitely got inspiration somewhere. Um, and OK, so they're basically after this point, the racism and the classism doesn't stop. They are basically stopped and frisked by a random CSEC agent who demands to see identi identification. Mm -hmm. uh, and it doesn't seem like there's really any reason on a, like other than them just happening to be Corian. Yeah, there's just uh, the Citadel has stop and frisk rules. Apparently so. Yep. And that interaction, though, is quickly interrupted as Commander Yakko is also on the Citadel and he's on one of the upper walkways of the Presidium and he fires a sniper round right through Kina's chest. Jeez, right in the middle of the Citadel. Right in the middle of the Citadel. Very bold. Yeah. I mean, think about how high the stakes are, right? Because he's like, well, Saren's going to kill us if it gets out that we're using the Geth to try and wage a war on the rest of the galaxy. So right. Right. Uh, so then he, Yakko fires a second shot and it grazes Tally on the side before all hell breaks loose. People are running. Tally carries Kina trying to find safety and they're debating where they can possibly go for Kina. Uh, or I'm sorry, they're, 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 they're debating where they can possibly go for help and tally suggests the elcor embassy but kina says no one takes them with a straight face <laughs> but, <laughs> which is pretty funny that's a that's a, a specific choice of words i think <laughs> yeah it's pretty funny to say that and it's funny on the surface but it's also an interesting commentary on political power in the mass effect universe no one takes the elcor seriously even though they have an embassy and very straight faces <laughs> And very straight faces all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so the Elcor apparently don't have enough political clout for Tally's seeking them as a whistleblower protector to matter at all. Like, like Kina doesn't think that even with as important and explosive as the revelation that she has to make. It doesn't matter because if it's coming from the Elcor. Yeah, I bet unless you're one of too. the three main ones, then it doesn't really doesn't matter because yeah, so you have to got, be one of the three main of groups. Yeah, yeah. We got a little bit of that in Mass Effect 1, but, you know, I think these comics and the other external media, they add a lot in terms of helping us realize just how just how centralized political power was right in the Citadel. Right. Right. Um, and how and limited so, and uh, kind of neutered you were if you were one of the minor groups. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. the Volus, the Elcor, the, uh, you know, God forbid you're a Batarian. You don't have any pull at all. Uh, and the Corians, yeah. like tough noogies. Yep. I don't think tough anyone would noogies. listen to the Hanar. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Hanar. No. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. So. So they're running. They're running from Commander Yakko and they reach an incinerator. Uh, Kina says, go on without me because he's just too hurt and he's falling down. He's like, I got to rest, you know, just go on without me. Uh, there's a medical center in the wards, you know, you can make it. And here we have another image on screen where Tally is convincing Kina to go. But I really love this second panel on the top where it almost looks like Greco Roman artwork that would you would find on a vase you yeah know what i mean yeah yeah it's uh profiles and for for those of you who aren't seeing this if you want to go check this out this will be up on our youtube page so just search mass effect lorecast youtube um but it's it's from the side so profiled and they're they're, they're like bowing to each other with hands on the head like it's yeah it's very so striking Kina's and it's the only panel without text too so it's very intentionally placed there kina is slumped over he's since died 
uh, because Tally's like, we need to keep moving. Kina, Kina. And the next panel is Kina is sitting down cross-legged, but he's slumped over head down. And Tally is on one knee and her head's down and she's resting her hands on the back of Kina's head. Yeah. And it drilled home for me the message that Tally is a teenager. You know, she is witnessing all of this trauma and she has this crisis of faith and identity within herself. It's like she went on this pilgrimage expecting to see amazing things, right? That she was going to see the galaxy and it was going to be great. It wasn't going to be as bad as dad said. And it turns out that it's almost worse. <laughs> yeah, she's being hunted down said. and somebody got murdered in front of you. Yeah, it's right. Yeah, she has this crisis of faith. And, and I, because she says my pilgrimage was meant to bring me closer to my people, closer to home. Instead, I'm losing everything. I'm endangering everything I care about. But this can't all be in vain. Not after everything my father said. And then there's another like. It's told through a flashback of her remembering a message, mm -hmm. but she's also enabling. She, so she's playing the message on a little portable computer that she has, and she puts it down on the ground near Kina's now dead body. And she, uh, Jacobus finds her in the incinerator. He's chasing her still. And while the part is playing that we already heard from her father earlier, uh, the you'll be far from the flotilla part this final confrontation with Jacobus uh, happens with Yakko? and Yakko Yakko mm -hmm. Yakko finds himself in a, in a toasty situation uh, because he is at the bottom of the incinerator and Tally has climbed up to a part that's kind of above him. And Tally tells him you're good with that gun, but I'm good with this. And she opens up her Omni tool and then she says, burn you Bosch Tet. And she ignites this incinerator. Oof. And Tally becomes this certified killer. I mean, granted, it is self-defense, but yeah. she kills him. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot for anybody to take. But a teenager having to do go through that traumatic. Right. With no support network around. And the only guy that was helping her just died in front of her eyes. Uh, and then she incinerates Yakko. And while he burns, <laughs> ah, it burns, though, it burns. <laughs> This is That's the this is like. the best part of the comic. <laughs> it burns. It burns. Gosh, Yako, you seem like you're on fire. <laughs> well, uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, the next panel. The artwork of him reminds me of um, Nicolas Cage in Wicker Man. Oh boy, not the bees. The bees. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so, but seriously, while he is burning, there's this awesome juxtaposition of in the internal, like we hear in, in this, in this uh, dialogue box, the final part of her message from her father. And it's juxtaposed over images of Yakko burning. <laughs> and so <laughs> wow. we remember, remember she thought he would like her father was going to lay into her giving this super negative lecture. Well, it turns out after he says, it's a heavy burden, the expectations you carry with you. But as my daughter, he says, I know you'll do the right thing. And yeah. then he says, I know I've been hard on you, Tally. I've been so focused on preparing you for the work our people need. When you were born, I, I promised that I'd give you a better life than what we had. Forever wandering the stars. And so Tally, when she hears the, the remaining parts of this message, she has to feel so mixed up, right? She yeah. was expecting this terrible thing, and yet she's getting val validation from her father, who is an admiral. Yeah, no, I could uh, absolutely. This is a wonderful just like there are moments like this that happen in literature when, and you have this contrast situation happening and you have the terrible thing that she had to do and and all the all the danger that she faced up until this point and then the message from her dad saying like I'm on your side I'm trusting you with this like that reinforcement that would have been really great to have heard before all of this other stuff happened <laughs> yeah yeah it would have but I think it comes at the time that it needed to come um, and how human is this desire from her father to give her a better life. 
He says, when you were born, I promised that I'd give you a better life than what we had forever wandering the stars. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that's why so many players find the Koreans so relatable. There's so many of these different moments where they say these different things and arguably among the races, the Koreans are the most human like. Yeah. Uh, also, just, if you if your personal lineage, if your if your culture was a displaced culture, because they're people who are still from displaced cultures, like I'm sure you could totally identify with this. Oh, 100 percent. So that that doesn't that's not the end of the message. The message continues. And he says, if I've pushed you, it's because I knew you could rise to the challenge, the challenge of the geth of returning our people to Rannoch. And two things about this real quick. One, this touches on something I think we really need to deal with in our society and something we've talked about before. Putting too much pressure on the most talented of us because I know they can take it. Yeah. I know they can handle it. Right. Sometimes they can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there I can't remember the exact reports right now, but I remember reading so many uh, research articles and, new, and news reports about rates of suicide among gifted and talented children. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about and this with Miranda high. and I, I mean, I very specifically can identify with this because I, this is something I've been uh, researching more and more over the, like the last six months. And um, I mean, we can go into it on off off the show or whatever, but there's uh, being gifted is not. Uh, people view, let's back up a little bit. People view, if you take a test, like an IQ test, and you get a high score, that puts you in the gifted category. But that absolutely does not mean you are better than the average person. And our society still seems to have this concept of high IQ equals you are better off than the average person. But that is, in many cases, not actually what is going on there. Because some, to, to, to get a high IQ score on one of those tests, you might just have to overly perform in one of many different areas. And those other areas could be deficits. So you might be struggling in nine out of ten different things compared to the average person, but you're really good at one thing. Like that doesn't mean you're better off. <laughs> and then on top right. of it, and there's the cultural implications of, well, you're gifted. So you must have you must be able to achieve lots of awesome things. And that's true for some people. But like if you take like the average doctor or lawyer, they are just slightly above average intelligence. They are not necessarily gifted most of the time. So it is like the way our culture handles this is very not accurate to the way things actually work. It's bizarre and like that social aspect that you mentioned about putting so much pressure on like people from childhood because they've been told that they have been the most talented. So so I'm putting you I'm, I'm giving you all of this pressure and I'm pushing you this hard because I know you can take it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, mean, I personally felt that way. I remember my parents saying things too. like you can do anything you want. You're so good at this stuff. Look at look at how look how easy school is for you and all of this. And then I spent most of my adulthood. You know, I'm, I'm in my mid 40s now, spent most of my adulthood feeling like a failure because I couldn't achieve more than what I felt like I should be able to achieve. You know, like that is a very real thing. And more people, higher percentages of people will agree with that and, and say, yeah, absolutely. I, I totally feel that way. Then I've had employers. I've had employers give me like, tell me, you know, I am I am holding you to higher standards than your fellow colleagues that are doing the same job because right. I know you can take it. Well, then pay me double. OK, pay me double right. then. Right. If I'm okay, twice as good as any of your double. other employees, pay me twice as much. <laughs> oh, no, we can't do that because everyone's doing the same work. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I'm holding you to a higher standard. I'm expecting you to produce more. Right. Well, then pay me more. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. It I, know, work I know. I've I've had that. And I, and it's something that I call whipping the lead racehorse. And it's like if the horse is winning the race. Yeah, you can keep laying into them to win even more, I guess. But yeah. like eventually they're going to tire out from exhaustion and somebody or that they're somebody you off. Yeah. It's somebody who is that smart and putting that in quotes because that's not always the case. But somebody who's that smart would quickly learn that they're being exploited and then go somewhere else. So it doesn't actually work out for anybody in the whole right. scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And so but to be fair to her father, the, the circumstances for the Koreans are indeed way more dire than anything for any of us right now on Earth. So, you know, like their entire race, 98 percent of their race was decimated or 
death no 98% was killed by this sentient machine race and kicked off their own home worlds now they're living in nomadic uh, style with with a hodgepodge of barely running f like ships in the middle of space so it is very dire so i understand the pressure that her father who's an admiral who's privy to the highest levels of security clearance right. uh mm -hmm. and and knows exactly what's going on and how dire the situation is i would understand why yeah but there's let's, let's, there's a piece of it real before we move on a little bit there's a piece of it that says that's from the father's perspective it's often the i believe in you i have confidence in you and a lot of times that's what the parent is trying to say but the way that comes across to the child is you can do amazing things and I expect you to. And if you don't, you're a failure. And those are two very different messages. Yes, they are. <laughs> they are very different. So let, turning to the second point that he makes, I know you're up to the challenge of returning our people to Rannoch. We start to understand why Tally's setting foot on Rannoch is as monumentally moving as it is when we go there in Mass Effect 3. Mm -hmm. This is all the way back in Mass Effect Homeworld that he's saying this right. at the very beginning of her pilgrimage. Right. And to, to, for Tally to set foot on Rannoch is the conclusion of not just her destiny, but is giving her father the wish that he never got to see fulfilled. Yeah, and in some ways carrying the torch for all of her people. Yes. Yeah. So. But I think for Tally, it's a it's a very personal thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, the conflict with the Geth is solved or not by the time we get to Rannoch. And either way, she gets to see the home world that she wishes to see, which is exactly what Kila Salai means by the home world I wish to see one day. Uh, so his message continues. Your teachers say you have the makings of an ex exceptional engineer. They tell me you could do any ship proud. Honestly, it seems like wasted potential. With your mind and your passion, you could be an admiral someday. But however you decide to serve the fleet, I know you'll do so with honor. I never forgot the promise I made when you were little. One day you will have a house on the home world. Do me proud. Do the fleet proud. And we can build that house together. Yeah. And, and this is also interesting the, because so, if you've played through the games first and then read this, it feels very like foreshadowy. Like you're aware and, of the, and the foreshadowing. Comics came, the comics came before the games. So for anyone that played the games and you've played through Mass Effect 3 and then you're reading this, it's like, wow. Yeah. I can't believe. Here, I'm going to send you, Tom, I'm going to send you this image right now. And if you could share it, that'd be great because this is this is exactly the, the image that we're left with mm -hmm. when he is saying this, um, when he's saying this at the very end of his message. And I'm going to send it to you one second. Through Discord, probably? Yes, yeah. through Discord. Okay. Um, All right. And so it's a, it's a very touching image because it's on Rannoch. And so his message is overplayed. It's now a flash forward mm -hmm. where she's standing on the surface of Rannoch. Of course, this didn't happen until Mass Effect 3. Um, but she's standing on the surface there. And here it is. Oh, there it is. Okay. I see it now. Um, uh, and oh, oh man, I got to get is, this. I got to get this on the screen. Hold on. The, Go ahead. Here's Keep the talking. thing. It is a touching image because he says, do me proud, do the fleet proud, and we can build that house together. And everything on Rannoch and Mass Effect 3 starts to make a lot more sense. Why Tally is so moved, why she's uh, so emotional. Everything she says, how she acts, even the suicide that she does. If if you are unable to negotiate peace and her, her entire race gets wiped out. And he, he ends his message with, I love you, kill us a lie. Yeah. But the problem is, it's also a tally butt shot. <laughs> right? Because I hear we go scroll back up to the top of it. So, yeah. Oh, like, no. Oh. Artists, why? Why, artists? I mean, everybody why? everybody likes a good butt, but this is such a poignant moment. He didn't have to. Not And it's time. super emphasized compared to some of the other art. Like, look at this. Look at those two little, uh, I don't know. It's like cheeks. Yeah, big old, <laughs> big old cheeks. She's been doing a lot of squats lately. Like, what the hell? Oh. 
Come on, really? Oh no. Am I gonna have to use this in our thumbnail again? Yes. <laughs> it, yes, it ruined the moment. Mr. Chicky Nuggy in chat here perfectly encapsulates my feelings about it. Completely ruins the moment. Yeah. It's like yeah. this was so touching. Right. And now it's butt. And, and now we got a butt shot. We didn't need a tally butt shot here. Right. Come on. Ugh. So right. flash forward. And Tally is again at Dr. Michelle's office where she uh, runs into Barla Vaughn, the uh, contact for the Shadow Broker, who we meet in Mass Effect 1. And he tells Tally that the Shadow Broker would be interested in this expose info she has on Saren. And he could arrange for her protection. All she need to do is go down to Cora's Den and stay with a man named Fisk. Or, I'm sorry, Fist, not Fisk. Fisk is a Marvel character. Fisk. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, not Fisk. Don't stay with Fisk. Uh, Daredevil will help Fist. you out. Don't worry. Um, uh, yeah, okay. And then that, um, that's the beginning of... That's where Mass Effect 1 starts. That's the very beginning of how we meet Tally in Mass Effect 1. Yeah. She's on the run. Yeah. Awesome. This is cool. I, I really like this uh, glimpse into her backstory. I, I, you know, the Miranda ones are, were cool. But this one, other than the butt shot, did a really, like a really good job to, you know, help us see that background for ourselves and what she and her people are going through and, and all of that struggle. Because, I mean, it's it's very clearly voiced and discussed in the games. And Tally seems, I mean, all the voice actors are great. Tally's voice actors comes across very, I don't know if there's something about the way they do the voice too in the helmet, but like there's this like sincerity there. And this gives us a really solid look at where all of that comes from. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, I feel like that probably places an extra burden on the voice actors because they really have to emote using their voice. Yeah. Or, you know, or it, it may also give them more of a template of what to actually shoot for. And it might be actually helpful in conveying, okay, this is what you're going for and this is your background. So this is how much it means to you. Sometimes, sometimes those directorial bits actually help actors fit in the role more more easily. So, I guess yeah. I guess we'll have to get her on the uh, show sometime to ask. Oh my gosh, that would having be Ash Ash Sroka is her name, and having her on the show would be incredible. Uh, maybe maybe I'll reach out to her at some point um, because that would be uh, that would be just amazing. Yeah. So if anybody knows or has connections out there, let us know. Uh, well, you know, you never know. Sometimes these things work out. Sometimes we're able to get people on the show. So we'll just have to see. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thank you for being here. Live chat. Thank you for being here as well. We love seeing all the commentary as this show goes on and everybody who's listening or watching from wherever you are. Thanks for being here. Uh, Sam, you got anything you want to share before we wrap this up? Um, yeah, I'm streaming every, uh, every weekend Mass Effect randomized. Uh, we'll be streaming this weekend, probably on Sunday. You can follow me on Twitch at N7TheLegend. And if you're curious about what randomized Mass Effect is, think about everything <laughs> being randomized. It's super Even the squad up. mates heads on squad mates bodies. Oh, dear God. These, oh, I got Darth yes. Jacob the other day. Remember early like AI, like a year ago, and this is so long ago now, like a year ago when AI was trying to make human faces and they all look a little bit weird and now they all look really good. This is kind of like that, except <laughs> <Yeah>. animated. <laughs> it's animated. It's like someone took all of Mass Effect and put it through source filmmaker. <laughs> right. And, right. And we're like Gary's mod or like <laughs> yeah. some other like, yeah. like, and just like the, oh my gosh. And just repeated the process over and over and over again until right. it was so distorted. Similar. That's kind of what it's like in dark souls. Yeah. is the same thing. This is a, if you've ever played a yes. dark souls game or Elden yes. ring and you're making your character, there's an option to click similar face, which adjusts it just slightly in one direction. Hit that like a hundred times and you end up with some monstrosity. That's what this is like. I did that in Elden Ring. It was great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's basically what it's like. And uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter at N7TheLegend, but I am going to be making a Threads account uh, for yeah. N7TheLegend. Yeah. And I'll try and keep that same handle. And uh, yeah, I'll try that out. Yeah, I actually just uh, started my Threads account yesterday because Twitter is a dumpster fire. And we're still on there. We still have the Mass Effect Lorecast uh, 
channel on there. We Sam and I have our own accounts. I'm robots underscore radio on Twitter, but I'm also robots underscore radio on threads as well. Somebody already took robots. Like this was years ago because you have to use your Instagram account. And even then I couldn't get robots radio all one word. So it's still robots underscore radio if you want to follow me. And I don't know if we'll do an official Mass Effect Lorecast account on there because it has to be tied to like Instagram and that seems even more complex to do. But we'll see how things shake out. Maybe we will if people want to follow us over there, if that becomes the new platform to go to instead of Twitter. So we'll see where that goes. But uh, as for Sam's stuff, go check out his streams. I'm streaming and this show shows up on the Robots Radio stream on Twitch, which may also be on Kick at some point. Who knows? Maybe we'll restream it. I don't know. And uh, you're welcome to check out all the other shows at robotsradio.net. So go check that stuff out. Thank you for being here. Anything else, Sam? You good? No, that's it. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. Stay safe out in that galaxy and, uh, you know. I don't know. Maybe, man, I appreciate Tally even more. Listen to your dad. Listen to your dad. (laughs) Listen to your dad. And maybe Tally is even more awesome than we thought. So, all right. We'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com. 